Bibles tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As a pastor, um, I love to be encouraging and hopeful. Uh, you guys should know me that well. I, I just want to always think the best and, and see the best and hope for the best. And uh, I just love to have a good word. But honestly, when I'm honest, it's hard. It's just hard. Um, I just had two weeks on the beach in Florida, which was wonderful. But in those two weeks, um, there are two marriages in our fellowship where the, where the man just abandoned his wife. Um, it's just devastating sometimes to, uh, to talk to people people and, and you want to have something good to say. You, you want to be able to say that things will work out, but, but that's not always what we can say. And that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Paul had um, problems mostly because he was compared to other ministers. And the other ministers uh, were apparently some just uh, fantastic looking guys. They, they traveled just like Paul traveled. In some ways, it seems personal and directed. that They seem to come right behind Paul. And, and they were able to undo so much of what he did. Uh, he would sow good seeds of the gospel, and these uh, other apostles would come behind him and snatch away the good seeds of the gospel, and they would cause so many problems in the church. And a lot of the problems were caused because they, uh, they had such fantastic sermons, and they were somehow always positive and always knew the answers. And that's not how Paul was. He's compared. And by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, this correspondence with the church, Paul's having a really difficult time. And it seeps through every word of this letter. It just seeps through. His frustration with criticism and being compared to these guys that he sarcastically in chapter 11 calls super apostles. You know, they're super apostles, and it's frustrating. Verse 10, chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul begins this horrible process of trying to defend but not defend himself. Why should he have to d d defend himself? The, the people say horrible things about him. They say that uh, he writes good letters, but he, but he doesn't preach well. That's all in chapter 10. Uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 10, some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he's weak and his sermons are lame. That's my translation. Those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as forceful as what we say in our letters from far away. And he's just struggling in this comparison and Chapter 11, he starts, uh, again, trying to, to, to explain the, the gospel and how he's living out the gospel. And, and he ends up doing a little bit of bragging, which he really, really doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to defend himself in this way. But then it brings us to chapter 12. If you thought he was about to um, go into a phone booth and come out as a super apostle himself, uh, you're in for a big surprise. This is how the gospel looks in the life of Paul, and it's chapter 12 is where we'll pick up. Listen to this. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I, I was caught up to the, to the third heaven 14 years ago. Okay, let's, let's stop there. The third heaven. What? How many heavens are there? I'm having trouble understanding the only one I knew about. 
Paul knows about three. What's he talking about? Third heaven. He's speaking as a Jew here. And again, don't get all caught up in this. The Jews thought of sort of three heavens or think of three skies, sort of three layers to the sky. And the first heaven would be what? The the sky that you see, the sky where the birds fly. That's the first heaven, the first sky. The second sky, the second heaven would be what? What's above where the birds fly? Yeah, the stars, outer space, we would call it. That would be the second heaven in a Jewish cosmology. The first heaven is the sky where the birds fly. Second heaven is the sky where the stars and the planets are. So what's the third heaven? Heaven, heaven. Yeah, kind of heaven, heaven. Yeah, it's what's beyond the stars, what's beyond the heavens that we can see. So he goes to the third heaven, and how long ago was this? 14 years ago, and he's just now bringing this up? He went to heaven, people. He he was given some sort of vision. He doesn't know if it was in the body or out of the body. That's how real it was. He could have been in the body for all of he knows. For all he knows, the Holy Spirit rocketed him into the third heaven. He was there 14 years ago. Now, if this happens to me in the coming week, you'll hear about it Wednesday or Sunday. I mean, I would be writing this in my newsletter, you understand? But not Paul. This is just a little something that happened 14 years ago. I think I probably went to heaven. Amazing, 14 years ago. Uh, so understand, but by Paul's timeline, he's writing 2 Corinthians about 20 years after his conversion. So this, this revelation, this vision, this trip to heaven, it happened about six years after he was converted. So let's go on. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I'd be no fool in doing so because I'd be telling the truth. But I don't want to do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's, it's a tremendous vision, a, a tremendous vision. 14 years ago, he's just now bringing it up. Why has he not been talking about this? He doesn't want to brag, doesn't want to, doesn't want to boast. <laughs> Why not? I mean, bragging's kind of fun. I mean, what, what's, I mean, when did boasting not become delicious? What's his problem? Why does he want to brag? I mean, he went to heaven. Is it even bragging just to bring that up? 
I mean, the Corinthians have been dogging. They've been insulting him now for a long, long time. I think I would have brought this up before now. By the way, I've been to heaven and back. Never brought it up. Really interesting. Yeah, he, he saw things that, that are sort of forbidden to speak of. Yeah, no human is allowed to come back. He, he, Paul saw things, and notice, we don't ever find out what he saw or what he heard, only that he saw and heard things that, that if he wanted to talk about them, there, there aren't words for it. You can't write a book about it, it won't be coming. Yeah, he, he's been there, but there's no book forthcoming. There just aren't words to describe what he saw, what he heard, and besides, there's no human who can possibly tell the story of, of, of what he saw. He, he just hasn't even spoken of it. He, he doesn't want to boast. And notice what he says. It, it's just amazing how his mind works. If I wanted to boast, verse 6, I'd be no fool in doing so because I'd be telling the truth. Put that in your own words. What's he saying? It's not boasting if I'm, just, if I'm awesome. Yeah, that's not really what he says, but it's not boasting. I'd be telling the truth. I, I wouldn't be stretching anything if I began to, to boast like this. I'm telling you the truth, but I won't do it. I'm in verse 6. Why? Because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hearing my message, if you can't see it in my life, then I don't need to be talking about it. Amazing? If, I can't, if you can't see it in my life, then I don't have anything to brag about. If you can't hear it in the gospel message I preach, then there's just no reason for me to be padding my resume with, uh, with revelations and wonders. you got to be able to see it in my life. Just... Hang on to that. So he has this incredible vision, this incredible uh, out of body, in the body, only God knows, he says. But God knows I went there. He went, went to, to the third heaven. Now, this is an amazing favor. I mean, an amazing gift. I mean, not everybody gets to do this, and I don't know how many in history have, have had this kind of blessing from the Lord, but Paul did. This must say something about Paul's faith, about his relationship with God, about, about the depth of his calling, about the majesty of God's purpose for his life. I mean, this is amazing what God does here. And it says something for how very close, how very closely Paul walks with the Lord, which is why you don't really expect what comes next to come next, because what comes next? I'm not really going to tell you about what I saw when I went up into the third heaven, but then he gives us quite a lot of information about something we also didn't ask about and, and wouldn't really know unless he told us. But what does he tell us here? I have this one prayer that really never got answered, or at least not, not answered in the way I, I wanted. I had this incredible blessing, this incredible vision, revelation. Don't even know what to call it, but, but I had it, and God knows it's real. But I also got something else, and he calls it what? I got a thorn in my flesh. Thorn in my flesh. When you, when you hear the phrase thorn in the flesh, what do you picture? Thorn in the flesh. Just a little ouchy, don't you? Like, ouch, you, you know, a little 
ouch, a little thorn in the flesh. That, that, that's what you picture. But that's not really, um, that misses the power of the words that Paul uses here. Thorn in the flesh was not a cliche when he uses the words he, he uses. He's using words that really would re- refer to something like a tiger trap in the ancient world. You've probably never seen a tiger trap. We don't trap a lot of them around here. Uh, but, but Paul would have known the kind of trap for wild animals that involved digging a large pit and putting at the bottom of the pit gigantic spikes. And so the animal would fall into the pit and be impaled on these enormous spikes. And, and that's the word Paul uses here when we translate thorn. You understand? We're not talking about just a little owl. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something more like a spike in the gut. Something like at the bottom of a tiger trap where you fall and are impaled to your death. That's the power of what Paul says. This is what I got shortly after my, my, my trip to heaven. I came back and I got this, this spike in my gut. We don't even know what he's talking about. But lots of people have guessed at it. And typically when people guess, I think they're probably telling you more about themselves than they're telling you about Paul. What do you think it was? What, what was his thorn in the flesh, his, his spike in the gut, this, this messenger from, who's it from? Satan. Yeah, Paul knows who it came from. It's from the devil. What do you think it was? What do you think it could have been, Claude? Blessings come beyond this life, but sometimes in this life we know limitations and, and trials. Yeah. What do you think Paul's thorn was, Claude? Do you have any idea? What do you think his thorn was? His thorn. Yeah. What do you think, brother? Right. Right. Yeah. He does say that. You would have taken your eyes out of your head and given them to me. He says that. Yeah. We know that when he was converted, what happened? Yeah, blinding light. He he was blinded. Perhaps he never fully recovered uh, eyesight after that blinding. Maybe his vision was primarily spiritual. It's very interesting. We know that that's true about Paul. We know that he had bad eyesight. In the book of Acts, remember when he smarts off to the chief priest, and they say, you can't say that to the chief priest. And what's Paul say? I know I was talking to the chief priest. (laughs) You know, he's standing there in his Coke bottle glasses. I know who I was talking to. Yeah, 
yeah, the fact that there's something hideous about his appearance, uh, maybe in his eyes, maybe he was just really ugly. And some scholars have said that, that maybe Paul was really ugly. I mean, not ugly, you know, like it's your family reunion, not that kind of ugly. We're talking like lagoon creature ugly. I mean, maybe Paul was just, just really hard to look at. And there is some support for that in his letters. There was something about his appearance that, that really turned people off. Maybe it, was, maybe it was with his eyes. Maybe it was just, you know, you don't know. It, it's funny. Some people say it's epilepsy. He must have epilepsy. Yeah. I've heard people say that. I'm thinking, where in the world do, do, do you find that? I've heard some, I read an article, somebody said he probably struggled with homosexuality. Oh, really? Really? Where is, is that? Like I say, we don't know. But our ideas often say more about us than probably about Paul. Ken? I'm with you with that, Ken. I think one of the beauties of this scripture, the way the Spirit gives us to it's open, is that it allows all of us to step in. Uh, I don't know uh, if, if my thorn compares to your thorn or, or what I struggle with compares to what Paul struggles with, but, but because it's left so open, we can all step into the scripture and listen to the truth of it. Listen to the truth of it. Verse 8, three times, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Okay, how would you respond just to that verse? Three times I, I begged the Lord to take it away. Three times. Is that enough? I mean, three? I mean, Paul's ever heard about praying long? Praying hard? I mean, three different times. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, by Thursday. Really? Three times? Is that enough? Yeah, yeah, the, the thing is, after he prayed one time, he already had his answer. And what was the answer? Ah, yeah, you, you know, after the first time he prayed, he knew the answer. What was the answer? My, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for, for you. My, my power uh, works best in weakness. After the very first time he prayed, he knew his answer. What was the answer, basically? Yeah, live with it. L live with it. Would God say that? I mean, honestly, that, 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 that can happen when I pray? Because I'm not sure the preachers I've listened to all these years made that clear to me that sometimes I'm going to pray, sometimes I could have a trial or I could have a problem and truly, God's answer is that he's not really going to take that away. He's not going to make it better for me. Is that really an option in the spiritual life? That God could just say, no, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to make this easier for you. I'm not going to remove this thorn for you. You're going to live with this. God would say that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so sorry that, that in our preaching and in our teaching sometimes, 
we really don't tell the truth about the spiritual life and about how God's ways are so far beyond our ways and how God's number one plan and purpose for my life is not necessarily my comfort or the ease of my life. There are saints of God, people dearly loved by God and greatly used by God who suffered greatly. And God would answer their prayers in amazing ways, but then yet sometimes still leave them living with the kind of difficulty that that God could have easily moved. He could have easily done this for Paul. But God just says, no, my grace is enough. What does that mean? My my grace is enough. Let's let's dig into this, and and this will be how how we'll end tonight. We don't have any more time. What's this mean? Most of us, when we think about grace, we think about getting saved. We think about getting saved. And and how does grace work when I need salvation? What's the grace part? What's it mean? This is the gospel. Yeah, it's unearned favor. It means that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. Nothing I can do to make him love me more. And nothing I can do to make, me love, make him love me any less. The, the favor, the love God has for me is unearned. And therefore, the salvation he offers me is a gift. It has nothing to do with what I deserve from God. Because what do I deserve from God? Death, condemnation, eternity in hell. I'm a sinner. I have earned his wrath. But because of his grace offers me salvation as a gift. That's grace. And that's how we're saved. It's by grace you're saved through faith. And, and, and it's nothing to do with yourself. It's, it's the gift of God. So nobody can brag. Nobody can boast. That's salvation. I understand how grace saves me. But how does grace kick in with something like this? Paul's been saved for 20 years. But he's still got something to learn about grace. And he's going to learn it by living with this thorn. That's just still depending on God for everything. Yeah, everything still comes from him. Yeah, Adrian. It's all about God. It's never about me. It's never about my comfort. But have you been where he's been? Have you ever prayed this kind of prayer? I've told you the story of the news correspondent who took an apartment in Jerusalem above the Wailing Wall, and she could look out and see these Jewish men who would come out every single day and pray at the famous Wailing Wall. So one day she went down, as a journalist, she went down to interview some of these men who would pray, and she found one of these men who would stand there all day long, and he would rock back and forth, and he would just pray, crying, weeping, and touching the wall. So finally she said, sir, what is it that you pray about all day, every day? And he said, in the morning I come out and I pray for my family and I pray for the peace of Jerusalem and I pray for peace all over the world. Then I go back home and I drink my tea and I come back in the afternoon and I pray for all of those who are sick and all of those suffering and all of those hungry in the world. The journalist listened to that and very impressed with his prayers. Then she said, sir, what's it like every day to come out here and pray the same prayer? The old man said, sometimes 
It's like talking to a wall. Have you, have you been there? You talk to the wall? Crying out to God? What's it mean? My grace is enough for you. What does that say? Again, obviously God's grace, the the gospel message itself, is something that we live out of. It's not just something that saves us and then we go on our happy way. We're always moving deeper into God's grace, always learning more about grace. So let me ask you the question again. What is it that you learn when you pray a prayer like this? Different times, over and over and over, and God isn't going to give you what you ask for. He's not going to make this part easier for you. What do you do on the day of your life when you realize that from this day on, it might just get harder and not better? What do you do on that day? What do you do when you, when you finally accept the fact that, that this sickness that you have in your body is probably going to bring your death? What do you do then? What do you do when you pray for rain and you pray for rain and you pray for rain and all of the crops just wither before your eyes? What do you do? How does grace speak then? What do you think? Yeah, Rachel. Yeah, grace can teach us contentment in, in, the, in the gifts he gives every day. Um, yeah, thankfulness. Yeah, that's good. What else? Grace, Margaret Ann. That Christ himself is, is, is really what we need. is what we need yeah we think that what we need is is rain or or health yeah 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 if if Paul never knew weakness he would never know God's power if he never knew Uh, a a distance from God, he would never learn how to long for God and reach for him. If he never knew what it is to long for and and beg God for healing, for for blessing, for for grace, then he would never know the satisfaction that that, that grace brings. If grace is unearned favor, if grace is getting from God what we do not deserve, then Why don't we all just be honest enough to say that we have already received more than we ever deserved from God? If God never blesses me with another day of comfort or joy, 
I have had so much joy. So much joy. If he never blesses me another day in my life and I live a long life, I've still received so much more from God than I ever deserved. This is grace. This is how we live by grace. The audacity to, to go to God in prayer as if he owes us something, as if he is in, I'm somehow entitled to have him come all along the way and make my life easy. That's not what he's trying to produce in my life. He's not trying to teach me lessons about ease. He's teaching me lessons about grace, about getting what I do not deserve from God about having a power that works best when I am empty, when I am lame, when I have no more legs to stand on and I find myself standing, then I learn something about grace. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away and each time he said, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then, say it, strong. Yeah. You will not know Strength until you know weakness. That is what Paul learned about grace. Let's, uh, let's sing. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's uh, come before him and wrap up this worship service. Andrew, I think you've got a good one for us to wrap up. I must tell Jesus um, the number. 455. Yeah, let's stand, let's sing to him. The altar's open if you want to come to pray. If you want somebody to pray with you, uh, come on down. Take one of our hands. We'll pray with you. If you have a physical need for healing, we'll, we'll lay hands upon you. We'll pray for you. Whatever grace you need tonight, there is grace for you and power in your weakness. Let's, uh, let's worship him.